0: You are Locked On Phillies, your daily Philadelphia Phillies
1: podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: What's going on, guys? It is Thursday, May 28th, 2020. This is Locked On Phillies. I'm Tim Kelly. Today's show is brought to you, as always, by Built Bar. You guys know I am trying to clean up my diet right now. But I also don't want to eat stuff that doesn't taste good. Built Bar gives you the best of both worlds, though, because they taste great and they're healthy. I mean, the taste is incredible. They're soft, they're easy to chew, covered in 100% chocolate, and they have options with or without nuts. The difference between eating this and anything that usually tastes good is that Built Bar is actually healthy for you, too. The bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, and they actually fill you up. If Built Bar sounds like your type of treat, go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your first order. That's promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. So Friday at 7 o'clock, ESPN is going to air their Roy Halladay documentary. It coincides with the 10-year anniversary of his perfect game in Miami. And with that, I want to take the next few days to kind of learn more about Roy Halladay's story. Obviously, he was an iconic pitcher and one of the best we've ever seen in Philadelphia for those first two seasons. But I feel like we're only now starting to learn about Roy Halladay, the person. So I'm going to have a couple guests on over the next two days that knew Roy Halliday very well. Today, I talked to former Phillies closer Brad Lidge, who was a teammate with Halliday in 2010 and 2011, his two best seasons in Philly, and even knew him all the way back to the t- their time in high school. So let's take a listen to that. The Phillies tried to acquire Roy Halliday initially before the 2009 trade deadline. Ultimately, though... They thought the price was too high, and they pivoted to Cliff Lee. but how aware were you in the clubhouse that the front office was trying to acquire Roy Halliday, and what does it mean to a team when they see a front office that invested the year after winning a World Series
1: well i 'll tell you I, I I feel like with with what our front office was doing, and you know Ruben Mo, if nothing else, he was aggressive like he was he was kind of a gunslinger. he was trying to make moves and um I think for me, I, I don't know if I heard Roy's name specifically at that time yet, but I felt like nothing was out of the realm of possibility. And Actually, thinking back, maybe I did hear his name get tossed around a little bit. Um, I just remember thinking, man, there's really no end to the possibilities of who we could bring in. Uh, I, I knew we were going to stay aggressive. I knew we were going to continue to make trades and try and continue to make our, our run uh, last as long as possible. So, um I guess for me, it, it it was just kind of one of those deals where, like, okay, well, I guess you know, if you're mentioning guys in that class, uh, you know, Roy and Cliff, then, then pretty much you you know everybody's on the table, any names on the table, and nothing was terribly shocking, just because I knew that that we were going to stay aggressive, uh, but the caliber of the type of guys we were trying to bring in was really was impressive.
0: So you guys did make it back to the World Series in 2009, and a large part of that was because of Cliff Lee. And then the Phillies traded Cliff Lee, and they acquired Roy Halladay in a corresponding move. And I don't think anyone in the world was mad about the Phillies acquiring Roy Halladay. And in an honest moment, I think most people, including the Phillies, would have said Roy Halladay probably to some degree was better than Cliff Lee at his peak. But it was shocking to most people on the outside to see Cliff Lee traded after becoming a playoff hero. He had won the Cy Young in the American League the year before. Were you and your teammates caught off guard the way the public was when Cliff was traded?
1: Um, I think so. I think, you know, it was just one of those deals where, right, as good as Roy was, uh, as good as he, um, you know, his, his resume was, I just feel like Cliff fit in so well with what we were doing. And, uh, you know, the, the confidence of Cliff and, and everything that kind of went with him made you feel like he was going to be a winner in the postseason. And, you know, Doc, obviously he hadn't had a postseason game. You knew he'd be fine, and then obviously look what he did when he finally got there. But I think with Cliff, it was kind of like, well, who can you get that helps that helps improve, you know, anything over Cliff because he was so dialed in, so good, and so confident in those big moments. He's exactly the type of guy that you you would assume you would want if you're trying to win a World Series. So, yeah, that was a little bit surprising. I remember uh, thinking, like, you know what? How do you replace that guy? I mean, he was really, you know, you said it, he was one of the guys that, that got us there. But really, even in the World Series, what he was doing and everything else was just, uh, he, he seemed like he just took another level, you know, another ju- a jump to another level and uh, was just that much more, you know, on that huge stage, even more calm and relaxed and confident.
0: So you uh, fast forward to the next spring training, and Roy Halladay is now your teammate. And I remember Mike Schmidt saying that he was actually intimidated the first time he met Roy Halladay, which it's crazy to think about when you consider what Mike Schmidt accomplished. But Roy Halladay was kind of larger than life as a persona, and as a person, he was six. Foot six. He was huge. What was your first interaction with him like?
1: Well, my, my first interaction with Roy was in was in spring training when you know the first time he was with the Phillies. But uh, I knew Roy growing up, so you know we had played ball together, um, we had gone against each other, and we had kept in touch uh, a little bit here and there over the years. Um, you know, certainly we were at different dinner banquets and, and different things in Denver and in Colorado. So, um, so I knew Roy well. Uh, but what's funny is even though I knew him well, there's still a level of when he got to the Phillies, like, oh, my gosh, you know, this is this is a different Roy Holiday than I've known that, you know, that, that I've kept in touch with because he had brought himself to another level. Like, he was one of the best in the game, and his work ethic and everything, all his accomplishments and accolades that he had, uh, you know, gone out there and achieved over the years, kind of, even though, like I said, I knew him well, kind of made me look at him in a different light. And then when he actually got to spring training, you know, seeing that work ethic in person, I was like, man, this guy – He's a totally different I animal, mean, and animals is exactly what he was, but he was a different animal when he got to Philly, and I felt like I didn't really uh, understand just you know how far he had come uh, from the days where we played against each other in high school. So it was really cool to see, and we you know caught up and talked a lot, and, and uh, even though Roy's a quiet guy, uh, he, he had become a different guy than I knew, uh, obviously, growing up.
0: When you went against him in high school, did you know he was going to be this good at the major league
1: level? Um, no, and I don't think anyone could say that they did. I mean, Roy reinvented himself entirely. Now, listen, in, in high school, you know, there was, he and I both had some uh, some good duels, but but he was, you know, a first-round pick out of high school. I was just a kid that could throw hard. I got drafted out of high school, but, like, in the 42nd round, he was a first-round pick out of high school. So there was another uh, level, another gear with Roy that, that you know, he was throwing... Man, probably in the low 90s, and he had a great curveball, even in Colorado, which is like extraordinary hard, extraordinarily hard to do uh, when you're in high school pitching. Uh, or any, any time in Colorado, it's hard to throw a breaking ball, but he already had a good one, and that propelled him to his first round status. But, you know, when you see Rullay, uh, that development after he got sent back down, uh, you know, to the minor leagues, he gets up to the major leagues and has a really rough go at it, gets sent back down, and completely reinvents himself. Uh, to become a sinker ball pitcher, um, a guy that had a great change up sinker and then later developed a cutter, so he was just in a completely different pitcher uh, than the guy I knew in high school so so maybe you could say the arm was always there, but what he developed into was entirely different than what he was when he got drafted when he came up with the Blue Jays.
0: You mentioned his intensity and kind of his day-to-day routine is legendary especially on the days that he pitched I know in Todd Zalecki's new book Shane Victorino says you could know where he was going to be at the exact second he was there what was it like I guess you couldn't even really you could be in the room maybe with Roy but you weren't going to interact with Roy on the day he pitched but what was it like just kind of being able to see uh what he was like on the days that he was starting
1: Well, you know, I think Roy was always, even on the days that he wasn't starting, he was working extraordinarily hard and fairly quiet, fairly, uh, you know, I guess really very much focused on what he was doing um, and and trying to get himself better. So the preparation for him was always massive, and he wasn't really a super talkative guy even when he wasn't pitching, but on days he was pitching... um, you know, I listen. I, I played with some incredible starting pitchers in my career. You know, from Royals, Walter, cut Suhaided, and I got a chance to see a lot of those guys. And I kind of knew. You know, you hear stories about certain pitchers on certain days. You just don't want to get so I knew on days that Roy was starting, I, I just wasn't even going to talk to him. I kind of maybe observe his business and how he goes about it. So someday, you know, I could tell my kids, hey, listen, if you want to be a starting pitcher, this is what you need to do. But I, I, I never, you know, interacted with him, and, and really nobody did because. He just, you know, got to the field 100%, you know, uh, focused, wasn't seeing anything in his periphery, just going from station to station for his preparation and warming up his body. And I just think everyone knew. You know, we, had, we, we had a fairly veteran team at that point, and everyone kind of understood this is his process and this is what he does. Leave him alone, you know, let the machine work, and we'll go out there and just sit back. And if you're in the bullpen... Go ahead and put your feet up because there's a pretty good chance he's going to throw a complete game.
0: That's incredible. I mean, he, he, of course, comes in that first season. He wins the Cy Young Award, gets to the postseason, and throws a no-hitter in his first postseason start. You you said you've been teammates with a who's who of all time, great and certainly of that era. Roger Clemens, Andy Pettit, Roy Oswald, Cliff Lee, Cole Hamels, go down the list. But as far as your baseball career, where does being teammates with Roy Halladay on the night that he threw a postseason no-hitter, you've won a World Series, obviously you played in a lot of big games with the Astros as well, but where does that moment rank among the experiences you had?
1: Well, it's 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 kind of hard to put in perspective how happy I was. Well, I'll put it this way: and never ever in my career in the postseason, if there was ever the potential to get a save, like I always wanted to be, you know, guy that 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 had his. I knew I was never going to catch Mariano Rivera in terms of career postseason saves, but I always wanted to be number two, and uh, and I always wanted to kind of you know if I could get there, create some separation. So I was always hungry for a save in the postseason. I always wanted to get in on that particular game that Roy pitched. I literally had my feet off, and I was like, for a while, and I started cheering so hard. From I've never felt like I didn't want to get into a game in the postseason of my career, except for that one. I was just like, I mean, we in the bullpen, we were just praying that the thing, the no hitter would happen, and I, I didn't want any part of that game. Like that was Roy's show; that was his, you know, a, a song and dance. That was everything about what made Roy great. And we just all wanted it so bad for him. So I just I, I remember that game with extreme joy and happiness, and, and really just uh, you know being so thrilled that he had a chance to do that, and then go out there and execute it. Uh, it was amazing to watch.
0: After the 2010 season, uh, the Phillies brought back Cliff Lee. They created the super rotation with him, Roy Halliday, Roy Oswald, Cole Hamels. I've heard different people, and I've talked to different people that played on different teams at that time or covered different teams at that time, and they've remarked about how incredible it was to watch that rotation. You were up close to that yeah. rotation, and obviously their success determined whether you were coming in a specific game. How did getting to watch that rotation, what what type of experience was that?
1: Well, I mean, you know, they all went about things so differently, that it was, I think that was kind of the big thing, is is no two of those guys were were alike. They all had very much, you know, different mindset, different programs, different mentalities, different work ethics. So everyone would go out there and and do what they knew how to do to have success. But I'll tell you, it's not easy to pitch after those guys. Like, there's a lot of games. They go out there, and and their stuff is just locked in, and they don't miss a spot. When you come in after them in the bullpen, you you better be ready. You better be dialed in, because there's not a whole lot of room for error. I mean, if Roy Holiday is you know, throws eight unbelievable innings and he doesn't miss a spot, but he has to come out because his pitch counts up. Well, when I go in the game, I dang well better be ready, you know, because I know everybody in that dugout on the other side is like, thank God the Docs out. So I know that they're a little bit more relaxed. So um, <laughs> those guys go out of the game, you better make sure you go in there with your best stuff. But it was a, it was a, you know, just a joy to watch those guys and, and you know, build relationships with them and, and hang out with them and get to know each one of them as, as people as well as the, you know, machines you saw on the field.
0: The 2011 season, it obviously it was a very special regular season, didn't end how you guys hoped, but Roy was incredible in Game 5 of the NLDS, despite getting an early hole, and his wife Brandy now says that beyond just running the pitch count up early, he felt a pop in his back early in the game, so he was injured, and I also want to read this uh, short sentence real quickly from an ESPN story about how he felt after the game. Brandy says, quote, when he came home, he was just in so much pain. And I remember watching him get up out of bed and he sneezed. He fell onto the ground and he was sitting on all fours and he was in so much pain. He couldn't get back up and laid there for probably 10 to 15 minutes. Did you guys know just how much Roy labored through that game?
1: you know I, I we knew that he did i don't think we understood probably to that extent but you know again roy was so quiet uh, just as a person and in general you wouldn't ever really know if he was in pain or if he was feeling great because he just went about his business the same way every time you know a lot of i think some of the be- greatest athletes that i've ever played with or ever i guess even seen on tv or whatever they never let the other team know uh when they're grinding or when they're in pain they always want to you know let the opposition think that they're 100% and never give away any edge. And I think that's what Roy did. So even though we, we knew he was grinding like crazy, I don't think uh, anyone really knew uh, to that extent. But, um, you know, he was he was a grinder. I mean, I think probably a lot like Chase Utley, uh, you know, from the pitching side, uh, Roy could be hanging out there and, you know, beat red and sweating like crazy in the fifth inning. And uh, you, you're like, man, this guy, you know, he's given everything he's got, but maybe he's only got five today. And then before you know it, he ends up throwing eight, nine innings. And and, uh, so you just never – you know he can be grinding sometimes, but you also know he can come out of it. So you never really want to count him out, even if you see him struggling.
0: The final question, this documentary that's going to air Friday night, at least in part, is going to focus on his battles with substance abuse because of the the pain he was in from pitching. You had the situation with Tyler Skaggs last year as well. As someone that pitched for a decade-plus in the majors, how prevalent – has and was opioid use among pitchers and do you feel like this is just kind of the beginning and we're going to start to hear more of these stories
1: well you know i think what, what ends up happening unfortunately is that you know you're looking for anything that's going to allow you to go out there and and perform at 100 percent. and sometimes you know it's an anti-inflammatory i was i was on very heavy anti-inflammatories for a long time in my career you know not op- opioids but I remember getting off them when I retired in the withdrawal. Like, I had some heart issues for a little while. I mean, you know, guys get get kind of hooked on things. And and the problem with opioids, obviously, is that they have this mental addiction factor as well. Uh, You know, fortunately for me, the anti-inflammatory stuff did not. But I think that you're trying to go out there and give everything you have so often, and then you're taking something that can kind of numb the pain, and then there's this addiction that happens with it, and I think, you know, every one of us would say, heck, you know, if you have some surgeries, I, I had nine surgeries in my career playing baseball. And every time I was done with those surgeries, you know, you get, you get a bottle of, of, of whatever it is. And, um, you know, you, it, it, it's hard to get off. I remember, like, just having to flush the stuff down the toilet at some point because it was like I wanted to keep taking it. And so there is this crazy addiction that happens. And I think especially the more injured you are and the more pain you go through, uh, the more you can kind of lean on that to get through it. And it's, it's very tough. I really, of course, feel for Brandy and the boys like, like crazy because I, I kind of understand it, obviously not to that extent, but um when you're a warrior like Roy Holiday was, you, you just want to do everything you can to keep being out there on the field. And, uh, you know, at some point, unfortunately, uh, stuff is kind of beyond your control. And, and I think that's the, the hardcore reality with those uh, opioids. And I do think we will probably hear more guys that, uh, unfortunately, you know, have, have that have that addiction. But but hopefully, Roy's story will allow them to know that they are not alone. One of the greatest to ever do it did it. You're not alone. You can get out there and get help uh, and, and, and hopefully uh, end that addiction.
0: Brad Lidge he closed out the 2008 World Series and you can hear him on MLB Network Radio every day from two to five. Brad, thanks for taking some time to join the show.
1: Yeah, you bet. My pleasure.